Well, good morning, Grace Fellowship. Hope everybody is well this morning. Hope that, that that worship time was not wasn't amazing. Praise the Lord! Right, give him a round of applause. I'm really excited to be with you. In way of confession, I have to acknowledge that I'm very very tired. I left it all on the field at the practice service, which is the nine o'clock service. We don't tell them it's called the practice service, but it's the practice service. So I'm going to pray right out of the gate that God would give me strength because he created my mouth. Doesn't matter how tired I am, he never grows tired, right? So let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you that by your grace and for your glory, we are your children. And neither height nor depth nor angel nor demon nor anything of all of creation will ever separate us from the love that you have for us. Father, we ask today that you would guide us deeper into an understanding of your love that your love would come to us, that it would move through us, and that it would bring glory to you. For you are a God who is worthy of praise. We submit ourselves to you now. And Lord, as always I acknowledge, apart from you I can do nothing. It doesn't matter how tired I am. You are willing and you are able. So in the name of Jesus, we ask now that you would teach us, that you would guide us, that you would help us to form deeply in love with you. We pray this in the precious name of the one who gave everything, the name of Jesus Christ, and all God's children said, Okay, so a couple things. If you didn't get a key when you came in today, please raise your hand, and our ushers will be glad to get you one. And also today, we are signing the Peacemakers Pledge toward the end of our service together. If you do not have a copy of the pledge, once the key people put their hands down, then we'll have the pledge people put their hands up. Uh, it may be a little confusing, and our usher team will do the best they can. <laughs> just keep your hands up if you can. I know it's a little heavy. You can just bring it like that down or whatever. Okay, so... Um, I want to bring to your attention again that on March 3rd, we are having a night of worship and prayer. Remember, if you haven't been to one of these, talk to someone who has. This is an amazing time. It's an amazing gift that God is doing in our, in our time, in our presence, and we believe that he's going to do it even more consistency, with consistency. So please come out with us that Sunday evening and celebrate the goodness of Jesus together. Okay, if you've been with us, you know we've been in this series on um, strongholds. And we defined strongholds in the first week from 2 Corinthians 10 as being established patterns of thinking that run contrary to God's truth, who he is and the truth that he has for us. Now, we said this, all of us have stronghold thinking. All of us have been raised here on planet Earth. All of us have been wounded. And remember, strongholds established patterns of thinking that are based in deception often come from our woundedness. Because when we get wounded, we become often fearful. When we become fearful, we become self-protective. When we become self-protective, we often wrap layers of all kinds of justifying, rationalizing behaviors around ourselves. And that can keep God's love from getting in. God's love is the most powerful force on the planet of the earth. I believe that without a shadow of a doubt. Most powerful force in the whole universe, God's love. And yet, because of this stronghold thinking, many of us are not letting God's love in. And so we're asking God to help us demolish strongholds. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish every argument and protection that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to Christ Jesus. So, now we also said this, while we all have stronghold thinking, God is also our stronghold. So when he breaks down deceptive thinking, he replaces that with his truth. And then his truth and his person becomes this mighty kind of castle built around us to protect us from the evil one's deceptions. 
So we've been talking about overcoming strongholds. And here is the roadmap for change from Jeremiah 6.16. Would you be kind enough to read these words with me out loud? This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. So the story hasn't changed. God's people were resistant to walking in God's way. And, and we have this thing called the flesh, remember, that, that wants what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit, that which is contrary to the flesh. So you have a war going on inside of you. So we said, in order for us to really allow Jesus to win this war today, ultimately, if you're in Christ Jesus, the victory's already been won. Amen? If you are in Christ Jesus by the grace of God, someday you're going to come home to him and you are going to be free from your flesh, free from the devil. Isn't that not going to be an amazing day? Praise the Lord. Yeah, come on. I mean, that's been won for us. That's our victory. But God wants you to have the victory today. He doesn't want you to sit around waiting to be picked up in the air while everybody else is left behind. He wants you to experience his fullness today. So he says, stand at the crossroads with What does that mean? Be still and attentive to the voice of God. You see, in the first week when we talked about this first verb, we said that most of us are so inundated with activity that we don't take time just to be still with God and listen for his still, small voice to be attentive. Now, some of us say, no, I spend hours in stillness. I'm not talking about sleeping on the couch with a bag of Cheetos all over you. I'm not talking about that kind of stillness. I'm talking about being still and attentive. God, what do you have for me today? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, your Son. And help me to hear your still, small voice. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. If this is truly the posture of your soul, God will speak to you. We must stand at the crossroads. Remember we talked about crossroads being decisions that we're making, and we must look. So last week we talked about three postures of looking. We need to look up, we need to look in, and we need to look out. First of all, we need to look up to understand who God is, his character, and his deep and abiding love for us. Second of all, we need to look up to not only stand and understand who he is, but to understand who we are. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knit us together in our mother's rooms. Remember I told you to say, God don't make no junk. Say that. And God made me, so I ain't no junk. And again, apologize to the grammarians amongst us. But this is true. And we have to understand this, and we're going to dig much deeper into this today. But we must look up to understand who God is and who we are because when we look in, if we don't look up first, we will be either horrified and run screaming or we will get it wrong every time. See, God wants us to take his loving hand and he wants to walk us into the dark recesses of our souls, the little pockets and the little closets that we'd rather not go into. He wants to poke around with us in there and he wants to find the dark, squishy things and he wants to pull them out into the light. And he wants to heal our woundedness. But we have to look up in order for that to happen. Then we look in. 
Then as a result of what God is doing in our lives, we look out at others and we say, God, how have I been used by you to touch the people of lives around me? God, how have I hurt people around me? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, please help me to make amends for my behavior, to forgive those and ask for forgiveness when needed, and to make it right by living my life now according to your will and your love for me. For love comes to you and love moves through you. And that's God's will for your life. So we talked about look last week. In this look, we're going to talk about ask. And, and you know, most of us would say, well, what am I going to ask for? Well, it's clear there that I'm going to be asking which way to go, right? And, and that's what a lot of us really come to church hoping for. We, we come to hope for like three steps to happiness in Jesus, right? Or five steps so that I can be fulfilled in Christ. And I'm, I'm the first one to say that I believe God provides a structure in his word. I mean, look, I just did it right there. There's structure there. Structure provides security, and God is a God of order. But we don't come today looking for a program. We come today looking for a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. Now look, if you look at these words, ask where the good way is, ask where the ancient path is, you've got to understand Jesus Christ is the ancient path. Jesus Christ is the good way. Listen to these words from uh, Daniel. This is verse 7, um, chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. And by the way, Daniel was seeing into the future. He was seeing towards the end of the times. This is a prophetic vision of the ancient of days. The ancient of days. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the ancient of days was seated. The ancient path. His garment was white as snow, and his hair on his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, and a thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him, and the court was seated, and the books were opened. Now, if you've trusted Jesus Christ in your life, your name is written in those books. Because you've been saved by the grace of God. See, God calls us to know that we're not seeking a program, we're seeking a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And look at what Jesus said here about himself. He said this to Thomas. By the way, do you not love the disciples? I mean, if you read the scriptures and understand the disciples, you realize that 90% of the time they do not understand what Jesus is saying to them. I feel so much like them, don't you? I mean, they're just like numb as stumps, and I'm like, Jesus, what are you doing? And he's always so beautiful in the way that he responds to them. When they don't get it, he's like, all right, let me tell you a story. He's a master storyteller. He's like, come on, let's just sit down with me. I created the universe. I get it, you don't. But let me tell you a story that'll hopefully penetrate your heart. And, and it does. And they start falling in love with him. Why? Because of the love that he has for them. So he says to Thomas at one point, uh, Thomas says, you know, you could, Thomas says, how do we know where you are going? We don't even know the way. And Jesus says, I am the way, Thomas. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Two of the most important questions of your life. Here's the first one. Who is Jesus Christ? Second one is, how will you respond to his invitation to relationship? You see, Jesus Christ is the God-man. And he is the one who gave his life for us that we now give our lives back to him. Through him we have eternal life because he shed his blood on the cross for you and me to forgive us all of our sins, past, present, and future, to wipe the slate clean. Though you were red as crimson, now you are as white 
as snow. You are deeply loved, fully pleasing, totally accepted, forgiven, and complete in Christ Jesus. You are a child of God. And nothing in all of creation, neither height nor depth nor angel nor demon, will ever take that from you. No one can separate you from his love. No one can snatch you out of his hand. The more that you understand this, the more you realize that your prayer is simply, Jesus, help me to know you more. Help me to know you more. You see, he is the God-man. Jesus Christ said things about himself like this. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Now, would you say that to anybody? Would you say to any of your friends, any of your family members, any of your workmates, would you say, hey, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness. Can I tell you something, dude? If you follow me, you are going to be in deep weeds. Because I am a mess. Anybody say it with me? I am a mess. Yeah, so here's the thing. I, Jesus Christ comes on the scene and he goes, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, if you look at the truth of what Jesus Christ said about himself, you have three options of how to deal with him. The first thing is, you can say, uh, well, I think he was a deceiver on the level of Adolf Hitler. You can say he deceived people. Or you can call him a lunatic on the level of someone who says he's a poached egg. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord. But those are the only three options you have. You cannot get by just by calling Jesus Christ a good teacher and leave it at that. Because the things that he said about himself declare very clearly that he is God. Fully God and fully man. And so you can't just discount him. Read the words that he said about himself. And then you have those three options to follow. Fully man, fully God. But he's the perfect sacrifice for you and me. And the scripture says that God is love. So Jesus is God and God is love. Say that after me. Jesus is God, and God is love. Listen to what 1 John says. And by the way, I would encourage you to spend some time in 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Say this with me. Because God is love. So as we look at Ask today, I'm going to ask you today to pray one simple prayer. God, Help me to know how much you love me. Can you say that after me? God, help me to know how much you love me. See, if you understand the depth of God's love for you, your world will be turned upside down. And everything inside of you will change. And you will start to walk in a way in which you are free and filled with love because love comes to you and love comes through you. Now, some of you are here today and you say, well, I only got a little bit of God's love, Jeff. I don't really know a whole lot about this. I've just tasted a little bit of God's love. I have to hold on to everything that he's given me. And I want to say to you, no. <laughs> Give it away. Give it away? Well, there's people sitting with hundreds of thousands of dollars of God's love in their bank account, and I got 25 cents, and you're telling me to give away my 25 cents? That's exactly what I'm telling you to do. You know why? Because when you give away God's love, it comes back to you tenfold. Let me explain to you the principle that Jesus talks about when he says, what you sow, you will also reap. This is called the principle of sowing and reaping. He talks about it with talents. He talks about it with seeds. He tells all kinds of stories about it. But here's the truth. 
How many of you have ever tasted just a little bit of God's love? If you're alive and well today, you're sitting here, your hands should be up. Because it's God's love that you're even here. You know that breath you just took? That's God's love. If you could raise your hand, that's God's love. It's all God's love. But here's the thing. If you have a little bit, the principle of sowing and reaping means that whatever comes to you by God, the grace of God, whatever love comes to you, Keith, whatever love comes to you, if you give it away to somebody else, it's going to come back to you tenfold. Now, I'm not saying it's going to come back to you from the source you give it to. Don't be so deceived. What I'm telling you is it's going to change the way that you see God. Because the way that you love other people determines the way that you see God. That's sowing and reaping. So if you live with a hardened heart and you kind of have this posture towards the people around you, where you turn your back to them, even though you don't physically do it, you just got a hardened heart. You know, you know the eye roll? Go ahead and do the eye roll. Go ahead and let's see. Yeah, there's a good one. Michelle, you did it very well. Jeff, I'm praying for you, my friend. No. <laughs> but you know, you roll the eyes and you give the heavy sigh and your heart just goes, oh, can't stand her. Can't stand her. Can't whatever. You know what you're doing? You're sowing. You're sowing something. And what you sow, you also reap. Because that impacts the way that you see God's heart toward you. God loves you. God has forgiven you of every sin. He takes such great delight in you. He does, he does, he does. I gotta be honest with you, he's so crazy about you. How many of you have ever wanted someone to be crazy about you, right? Oh my gosh, I can't even believe I'm gonna talk about this, but like, I still remember my first Sadie Hawkins dance. <laughs> I was in the seventh grade. Oh, I just cringe when I think about the kiss. It was horrifying. Neither of us knew how to do that. And it was just really weird and gross and scary. Her name was Kitty, and she had a twin sister named Debbie. And so I dated Kitty, but I never knew if I was with Debbie or not. But you know what I knew more than anything? I wanted her to be crazy over me. You know, those of us, whenever we think about romantic relationships, we think about our parents, we think about our children, we want people to be crazy for us. You know, i got to be honest with you. The people in my home are wonderful people, but the, the, the creatures that are the most crazy over me are my dogs. <laughs> I mean, when you come home and your dog's just like, hey, how you been? Come on. Get over here. Give me a pet. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I can't believe I did that, Chris. That was really sick. <laughs> But well, you know, we got a dog named Switchfoot. He's getting older. He's really dopey. But oh my gosh, does he love me. He just sees me and he lights up. Just is so filled with joy. Can I tell you something? When God sees you, it's a hundredfold Switchfoot. Problem is, you don't see yourself that way. God sees you far differently than you see you. You look in the mirror and you go, Ugh. and God says, Stop! You're precious to me. I love you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Like you are the apple of my eye. I can't tell you how much joy I take in you, my child. And yet you're still filled with self-loathing, self-hatred. God says, no, you're, you're blocking my love. Like, you don't understand me. I'm not like the people around you. I'm not like the bullies on the playground. I'm not like your upset wife or your angry husband. I'm not like that. 
I don't wring my hands in heaven when you don't do the right things. I love you, I love you, I love you. Because I am love. And I can't help but be in love with you. Now look, if you listen to God tell you things like that, it will change your life. He will change your life. He's fully God and he's fully man. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God has been made manifest amongst us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this, all men will know that you are Jesus' disciples and that you love one another. See, God's love is so scandalous. The gospel is such an incredibly scandalous message that when it comes to us, we don't even understand the full impact of it. Like, for if we truly did understand the full impact of it, we wouldn't help but be dancing on our tippy toes and flipping out all the time. Because we would just be like so crazy, be running to Walmart and going, hallelujah, praise Jesus. You wouldn't even care if people thought you looked like a lunatic. You know why? Because God's love casts out all fear. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. I want to show you a video clip from a movie called Ragamuffin. Anybody see this movie? Ragamuffin is a movie about um, Rich Mullins, who was a Christian songwriter. He uh, he wrote beautiful songs like Awesome God. You know this one? Um, Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Sing it with me. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom. Dumb power and love, our God is an awesome God. One more time. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He is just so awesome. Rich um, was a powerful writer for the glory of God. And he was a deeply wounded man. He had many wounds from a very difficult childhood. He had a very abusive father, a very broken relationship with him. And Rich bought into strongholds. You see, he was an alcoholic, just like I'm an alcoholic. And uh, he turned to alcohol in an attempt to deaden his pain. He experienced great loss in his life. One of the losses was uh, one of his uh, best friends named Morris, who had been a father figure to Rich in place of his earthly father. This clip I'm going to show you um, shows Rich at one of his deep, dark places. He's highly reactionary, and he easily becomes offended. And I want to stop here and tell you that if you become offended easily, you have stronghold thinking. If somehow you nurse your wounds and are a person that becomes bitter and resentful and unforgiving, you have stronghold thinking. That thinking runs contrary to the truth of who God is and what he has for you. And Rich was living in a place where he was easily offended. So you're going to see him get offended with one of his friends right out of the gate. And he's a little easily tempered. He's kind of touchy or testy. Has there ever been words that can be used to describe you? I won't ask for a raise of hands. Then his friend... Uh, plays a recording. It just wrecks Rich's soul. 
And the recording is of a pastor. His name is Brennan Manning. And Brennan Manning is teaching about the power and love of God. And God's love breaks through. I want you to watch this. Let's take a look together. Losing Morris was devastating. And it left me at another crossroads in my life. I came to Wichita to find myself, only to leave feeling just as lost as I had before. I set out on the road again with Justin, not really sure where I was headed. Hey, Rich. Where were you? I was just getting some food. Don't go anywhere without telling me where you're going, okay? Okay, is everything all right? I was just- I don't need you to talk, just, if you're going somewhere, tell me where you're going. Okay, or take me with you. Okay, damn it. Hey, can I play your tape? What is it? This is Preacher, Brendan Manning. You should know better than to even ask me to listen to a preacher. Just give it 10 minutes. In the 33 years since I was first ambushed by Jesus in a little chapel in the mountains of western Pennsylvania, and the literally thousands of hours of prayer and meditation, silence, solitude in those years, I am now utterly convinced that on Judgment Day, the Lord Jesus will ask one question and only one question. Did you believe that I loved you? That I desired you? That I waited for you day after day? That I longed to hear the sound of your voice? The real believers will respond and say, I believed in your love. And I tried to shape my life as a response to it. But many of us who are so faithful in our ministry, our practice, our church going, are gonna answer, well, frankly, no, sir. I never really believed it. And there's the difference between the real believers and the nominal Christians that abound in our churches across the land. No one can measure like a believer the depth and intensity of God's love. But then again, no one can measure like a believer the effectiveness of our gloom, our pessimism, our low self-esteem, our self-hatred and despair that block God's way to us. Do you see now why it's so important to lay hold of this basic truth of our faith? because you're only gonna be as big as your own concept of God. We make God in our own image and he winds up being as fussy and rude and narrow-minded, judgmental and legalistic and unloving and unforgiving as we are. I've been in churches in Bangor, Maine, Miami, Seattle, San Diego and St. Louis and honest, the God of so many Christians I meet is too small for me because he is not the God of the word. He is not the God who is revealed in and by Jesus Christ, who at this moment comes to your seat and says, I have a word for you. I know your whole life story. I know every skeleton in your closet. I know every moment of sin and shame 
dishonesty and degraded love that's darkened your past. Right now, I know your shallow faith, your feeble prayer life, your inconsistent discipleship, and my word to you is this. I dare you to trust that I love you, just as you are, not as you should be. Because none of us are as we should be. Oh, what's up? You all right? Rich. Rich? You know, I've been around quite a bit too. And honestly, the God of so many Christians is just too small for me. Because he's not the God of the word. He's not the God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is at this very moment, he comes to your seat and he says, I have a word for you. I know your whole life. I know every skeleton in your closet. I know every moment of your sin and shame and dishonesty. I know degraded love that has darkened your past. Right now, I know your shallow faith and your feeble prayer life and your inconsistent discipleship. And my word to you is this. I dare you to trust that I love you. Just as you are. Not as you should be. Because none of us are as we should be. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, help this message to penetrate the hardened hearts that we've developed over years of hurt and woundedness. God, if we just let your love in, if we just know your love, it will change everything about us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, break down the resistance in us to receiving your love. We pray this all in your precious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You see, the scene showed that Rich allowed God's love to penetrate his hardened and offended heart. To tear down some of his stronghold thinking, and with that breakthrough came the gift of holy tears. And by the way, that's my term. You won't find that in the scripture. You can't go dig in there. But you see holy tears all over the scripture. Let me tell you what I think holy tears are. Holy tears are when you come to a breaking point where God's love finally breaks through and you see how beautiful he is, you see how amazing he is, and you see how much he loves you, and then you are just overwhelmed and you break into sobs. Have you ever experienced holy tears? Praise the Lord if you have. For that is the breaking down of a stronghold. For when God's love gets in, surely your stronghold thinking cannot stand. His love is the most powerful force in the universe. And his love is what destroys your distorted thinking about him. Holy tears can come to us in a number of ways. One, when we see the beauty of God. Sometimes we see the beauty of God, but yet we see our own brokenness. And we're broken in our hearts about the sin that has come through us. That, too, is holy tears. God visits his children, and he wants us to know him. He doesn't want us just to believe in him, but he wants us to know him intimately. You see, God's love is what destroys all strongholds. 
God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Say that after me. In this world, we are like Jesus. Now listen, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Child of God, son or daughter of the Most High God, there's no reason for you to be afraid anymore. Now, if you're here today and you do not know Christ Jesus, I want you to know something. There is something for you to be afraid of, and it's the wrath of God. I want you to understand the message of the gospel in such a way that you understand the scandalous love that God had for you. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. By being a sinner, we deserve death. That's called judgment. You see, and God is a righteous judge, and nothing unholy can enter his presence. So he could have done it, slammed the gavel and said guilty and wiped us all out. You know what he did out of his great love for us? He became flesh. He came down to planet earth. He took on our flesh and he walked our turf and he died on the cross for us. So guess what? All the punishment of God, all the wrath of God was poured out on the person of God himself. What you deserved, God took upon himself for you so that you now stand free before God, accepted, forgiven, righteous, because he has given you his righteousness. He took away your sin. He took it away. So Jesus Christ said, look, there's no fear in love because fear has to do with punishment. Child of God, God does not punish you. His wrath is no longer for you. It's fully satisfied in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. When he cried out in his blood on that cross, it is finished. He said, no more wrath for you. I took it all. I took all the punishment. And that doesn't mean God doesn't discipline you. He does. But discipline and punishment are not the same thing. Punishment is, is a penalty paid that actually pushes a first person farther away. So if you punish your child, parent, you're pushing them away from you. Don't punish them. Discipline them. What is discipline? Discipline is allowing people to experience the consequences of their choices. Why? So intimacy can be restored. Discipline is for the purpose of building relationships. Punishment is different than that. And what the scripture says here is, you no longer need to be afraid. Let me tell you why that's so important. At the root of all your stronghold thinking, at the root of all my stronghold thinking, is this emotion, fear. Why? Because you get wounded in life. And when you get wounded, you get afraid of being hurt again. So what do you do with your fear of being hurt again? You start building self-protective strategies, self-righteous strategies, self-justifying strategies, self-defensive strategies, and all those strategies keep God's love from getting to you. You start thinking God is like all those other people that have hurt you. You start putting a worldly face on God, and he goes, I am not like them. I don't wring my hands in heaven when you hurt me. I don't do that. Jeff, frankly, I don't even need you. But I love you so much. Do you understand so much of other people's love for you is based on need for you? Do you understand that? Do you understand that we'd like to believe that people have altruistic love? The only people that have altruistic love are the people that have Jesus Christ. For they know the love of God. And then they show the love of God. But the people around you, all of us, we're a ball of mixed motives. So when people say they love you, what they're sometimes saying is, I really need you. Can I tell you something? God doesn't need you that way. 
He just loves you. He takes joy in you. He takes great delight in you because he is love. He's love. He's love. He's love. He's love. You really have to understand this. I want to show you a little model that was given to me years ago. I have the joy of sitting with my family different times now because the kids are older. You know, they're 19 and 21 and 23. Oh, my Lord, I'm an old man. My oldest got married recently. I can't believe it. I have like a new daughter-in-law. She's awesome. This is a beautiful thing. Every stage is a gift, right? And every stage has its challenges too. But every stage is a gift. And I got to sit with my daughter, who I absolutely love. She's a very, very bright, bright young lady, and she loves God, which is incredible. So we get to sit and have incredible conversations about the love of God with each other. Sometimes we argue, but it's good. It's good. We argue well, and then if we don't do it so well, we just kind of part, you know? We learn to do that. But I was able to sit down with her this week and show her something that was shown to me over 35 years ago, and now I want to show it to you because God, once I showed it to her, I think God said, well, I want to show it. I want to show it to everybody. So um, I went to counseling over 35 years ago. Um, for the first time, I sat with a counselor, and I sat with one counselor for a year. It took me a year to figure out that he was sicker than I was, and that, that's because I said some healthy friends in my life, by the grace of God, and the healthy friends who knew God, you know, I was telling them what he was saying, and they were like, uh, dude, I, I don't really think that's healthy, what he's telling you. And I went, really? Because I didn't really know what I was looking for. I didn't know what I needed. And so I fired him, and then I... Uh, I mean, I did it politely, you know. But then I, I went to another guy, and this guy was like, well, by the doors. I don't even remember his name. His name was John. I just sat with him for, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks, a couple months. I can't remember. I was a wreck. I was filled with lust addiction, pornography, masturbation, alcohol addiction, broken relationships, anxiety attacks, depression. I was the guy on the block in Baltimore. I was lost. I was dead. And this guy, he was a genius. He didn't say a word for the first hour. That's a genius, man. I'll tell you. How many of you have anybody that will sit with you for an hour and just listen to you talk? Do you have somebody? Praise the Lord. Can I tell you, how many of you have Jesus Christ? You have somebody that will sit with you for countless hours and listen to you talk. His name is Jesus Christ. You know that? He's, he's the wonderful counselor. But I can tell you this in a brief minute. One of the best gifts you can give to people is to listen to them. Just listen to them. It's amazing how ministry of listening is just an incredible gift. And he just listened to me for an hour. And then he stopped me about an hour in because this is the intake. It was longer than usual. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there and he goes, uh, hey, I want to show you something. I said, great. And he took out a piece of paper and he wrote down these four words for me. And he said, Jeff, I want to explain to you something that a model that's really helped me a lot and it helps a lot of people that I work with and then I want you to go home and think about it some and he gave me these psychological terms and I want you to understand some of you are going to check out if I don't set this up this way good psychology relies on good theology say that after me good psychology relies on good theology so God is the greatest psychologist there ever was he's great he understands everything about your neural networks your brain everything he understands it all about your thought patterns about your behavior everything like that there is good psychology, and good psychology comes out of good theology. It must be based in the person of Jesus Christ, and it must be based in the scripture. Must. But I'm a strong advocate for counseling. Um, it's, it's been a great gift for me, because the scripture says a man benefits from a multitude of counselors. So if you're in deep weeds, please get some counsel. Get some help. Um, so he said to me, Jeff, there's this um, 
parts of you that I want you to understand. First of all, you have a critical parent that lives inside of you, and these are the critical voices that so easily come to you. Um, they're voices that say things to like, you, like you'll never be enough, you're not enough now, uh, I can't believe you screwed up that way. Um, how many of you have voices like that in your head? Okay, yeah, if you're alive and breathing, you probably do some kind of battle with those, right? That he called the critical parent. He said, but you also have a nurturing parent inside that speaks the words of love and encouragement to you and words that kind of build you up rather than tearing you down. That's called the nurturing parent. He said, you have this adaptive child. And inside of you is a child that listens to the critical parent. Bear with me here for a second. Listen to the critical parent and he goes, what am I supposed to do now to be enough for you? How am I supposed to, what should I say now because then I'll be okay, right? And you won't, then I'll be okay, right? And so I'm trying always to prove myself by doing this dance of adaptivity. That has no place in our lives, children of God. But he said, you know, you have this adaptive child in you, and you're kind of just trying to figure this out, and you're dancing to other people's criticisms and to what you think they want. He said, but there's this part of you that's a free child, and that free child listens to the voice of the nurturing parent. Now, look, I came to understand this is deeply scriptural, but he said to me at one point, he said, look, now, Jeff, after listening to you for an hour, he said, I think this critical presence in your life is super strong. You talk to yourself in a way that's very, very harsh. He said, you listen to a lot of harsh messages. And he said, as a result of that, this nurturing voice, it's very soft, it's very low in your life. And he said, as a result of that, you're doing a lot of adaptivity. You're, You're kind of experiencing all this bondage in your life because you're adapting to all these critical voices. And as a result of that, you're experiencing very little freedom. And he's printing this picture for me, and I'm going, oh my gosh. Like, God, this is true. And I came to realize that the, 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 the enemy of God, Satan himself, you know what he's called in the scripture? The voice of condemnation. The spirit of the accuser. You know what Revelation says? It says that Satan himself accuses the brethren night and day before the throne of God. You, if you are in Christ Jesus, Satan is accusing you all the time. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe she did that. I can't believe her. How could she possibly be a child of God? You see, all this accusation, all this condemnation, and if you have voices like that in your life, they are not from God. Amen? Now, some of you are saying, yeah, that voice is sitting right next to me. Your battle is not against flesh and blood but against principalities and places and rulers of darkness. Your battle is against the demonic. And the people that hurt us the most are the ones that are the closest to us. The vast majority of the time, people don't know that they're being this way. They don't know they're being used this way. That's why your heart has to be moved towards, from away from judgment towards compassion for them. But you have to be able to identify it. You have to be able to identify what this voice of the accuser sound like. Most of all, you have to understand something, that if you tune the radio dial of your heart into God's voice, you start building up this love voice in you that's the love of Jesus Christ, it's the love of God, it's his forgiveness, it's his grace, it's his loving kindness, it's his patience, it's his perseverance with you, it's, it's his encouragement of you, infusing you with courage day and day. So you're listening to his voice, and as a result of building those voices up, now these condemning voices are going down. And as a result of that, you're doing less and less adaptivity or being bound as a child of the flesh, and now you're experiencing the freedom of what it means to be a true child of God. So this guy said, he said, we just got to work on building those voices up in you. And it's kind of like a radio dial, Jeff. You just got to tune your radio dial into the voice of love. And when you do, you'll, how many of you remember, oh, wait a second, I should back up. How many of you know what a radio dial is? (laughs) 
I date myself. I just realize I'm so old. I said, wait, maybe people don't know what a radio dial is. Well, in the olden days, we used to have this radio dial. We'd turn it, and this needle would go across the screen, and you would tune in to certain radio stations, right? Remember you'd tune into that one, and you'd go, oh, yeah. I love this music. So many of us are listening to distortion and static all the time. And God says, look, just... Just tune into my voice. Listen to me sing to you. You know what Zephaniah says? I can't find this scripture. In. All right, listen to this. What is Zephaniah 3.17? The Lord your God is among you. He is mighty to save. He exalts over you with great joy. He quiets you with his love. He rejoices over you with singing. I'm going to say this to you, and I want you to say these words after me. The Lord your God is among you. He is mighty to save. He exalts over me with great joy. He quiets me with his love. He rejoices over me with singing. Now the question for us is, are we going to incline our ear to his song? Because God is even singing right now. He's singing over you with great joy. He goes, I am just so delighted in you. God, you can't be, look at me, stop. I don't see you the way you see yourself. I see you through the lens of my son, Jesus Christ, and I made you, and you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you are precious to me, and I don't see the things that you do anymore, the things that you've done. You are my child, and I love you. Let it in. Let it in, for if you do, your life will be forever changed. So many of us are filled with self-loathing and self-hatred, and we're constantly listening to these critical voices in our mind. I call it the committee. Tracy, how you doing? Well, the committee's kicked in. What's the committee doing? Well, they're hanging me right now. They've had me on trial. You know, one of the things I've learned to say to my wife, and I did this years ago. We started this probably 20-some years ago. But when I hear her talking down to herself, you know what I say to her? Don't talk to my wife that way. She said it this week. Don't talk to my wife that way. Here's another better one. I think Alex and Shannon told me about this. Don't talk to a, the daughter of God that way. You see, we talk to ourselves in a way that God doesn't talk to us because we've rehearsed these critical voices and God's saying, no, tune your ears into my love. And if you do, I will build you up in hearing my voice and then you will not hear the voice of the accuser. Let me give you something that's really important. As a child of God, you should never try and struggle with an evil presence in your own strength. Never. Some people as Christians say, oh, you got to struggle with the devil. You got to fight the devil. No, you don't. You know why? When you struggle with an evil presence in your own strength, you endow it with more power. You know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to ignore the evil presence and look at Jesus. That's what you're supposed to do. How, how do I know this? Well, I know this by personal experience, and I also know it from the scripture. There's a, a situation in Acts where um, some people didn't know Jesus but they said, oh, it's going to be fun to go out and cast out evil presences in Jesus' name. You know what I'm talking about? You know that scripture? So, seven sons of Sceva, right? They go out and they, they try and cast out demonic presences in the name of Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. And one of the demons comes out and he goes, hey, uh, Jesus I know and Paul I know too, but who the heck are you? And then you know what he does? He kicks his butt. Why? Because he didn't have Jesus Christ. But if you have Jesus Christ... You have been given divine power to overcome strongholds, and the divine power is God's love for you. It's his love for you. 
His love endures forever. It's an unmatched force. It's more powerful than anything in the universe. And if you hear him singing over you, he will change your life. He exalts over you with great joy. He quiets you with his love. You know what that word quiet means? It means to settle down. Settle down. How many of you need to be settled down? How many of you feel like you're shook up on the inside? How many of you get shaken up on the outside? His love settles you down. Why? Because it takes away all fear. You know what's behind every angry person? There's a hurt person. There's a fearful person. You know what's behind every unforgiving person? A wounded person. A fearful person. Perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears has not been made perfect in love. Well, can I tell you something? None of us have been made perfect in love. What we're doing is we're making progress in love. That's called sanctification. So here on planet Earth, we're listening more and more to God, and his voice is speaking more and more to us, and we experience less and less bondage, more and more freedom. We, we ignore the voice of the accuser and can identify it quickly and run back to Jesus and say, sing your song over me. Now, this picture here, <laughs> nobody is in this place yet. But can I tell you something? Someday... That devil is going to get cast into a lake of fire, and that's where we're going to be. And we are going to have no more voices of condemnation, and we are going to experience no more bondage, and we are going to be deeply in love with Jesus Christ, fully in love with Jesus Christ, because we are only going to have relationship with him, and we're going to have 100% freedom. Are you looking forward to that day? Praise the Lord. In the meantime, God says, trust me, trust me, trust me. Now look, take that key out that I gave you. The scripture says here, and I want you to dig into this scripture in your booklet this week. I'm approaching the message a little different. I want you to do a lot of homework this week differently. I want you to go through the scripture that's in your booklet for this week on your own, in your small group, with your wife, with your husband, with your kids, whatever it might be. But I want to point to where Simon Peter was asked a question. Actually, all the disciples were asked a question, and it goes back to the most important question there ever was. They were saying, hey, people are saying this about you, Jesus, because he was performing all these miracles. Some are saying you're Elijah. Some are saying you're a prophet. And he asks this incredible question. He looks at them, and I anticipate a stunned silence, and he goes, well, who do you say I am? I envision a long pause, and I see Peter looking up, and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of a living God. Jesus replies with a great smile, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, which is the truth of who Jesus Christ is, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So this little key represents the kingdom authority that you and I have been given to love others the way that Jesus Christ has loved us, to forgive others the way that Jesus Christ has forgiven us, because loved people love people. Say that after me. Love people love people, and forgiven people forgive people. Say it. So today... We're signing the Peacemaker's Pledge together. And the Peacemaker's Pledge, if you don't have a copy of this, you're welcome to get a copy, and you can hold off on signing if you want until you've read it, because we want you to understand what you're signing. If you've been here over the years and you've already signed this document, this is a whole new recommitment to living life relationally the way that God longs for us to. For us to love each other and to forgive each other the way that Jesus Christ has forgiven us. And it's been a foundation for us, folks, 
been something that God has used to protect this body in such powerful ways. And I can say, as a man called by God, I will die on a hill for making sure that we do the best we can to live life clean relationally. For by this all men will know that we're his disciples and that we love each other. Jesus Christ has called us to forgive each other the way that he's forgiven us. So I'd like to ask that you stand in way of closing. I pray for us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that you have overcome the accuser, that your voice is singing a song of love. We just be still long enough to intentionally go to you by the power of your spirit, through your word, and with your people to hear you sing. For you come to us right now in our seat. And you say, I dare you to believe that I love you. Just as you are. Not as you should be. Because none of us are as we should be. God, thank you one day. And for those of us who are in you, one day, we will be like you. Father, help us to let your love in, to break through. For God, you have given us freely of your spirit. If you know this little song, would you please sing it with me? Freely, freely, you have received. Freely, freely, give. Go in my name and because you believe, others will know that I live. One more time. Freely, freely, you have received. Freely, freely, give. Go in my name and because you believe, Others will know that I live. Lord Jesus Christ, whatever measure of love that we are receiving from you right now, help us to have the faith to give it away. For what we sow, we will reap. We thank you, Lord, for the way in which you attend for us to love in a loving relationship with you. That love comes through us, and then it comes back to us. Lord, help us to trust you today. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said.